0: I'm Michael Brennis, and this is the Showbiz Roundup. The band Lovely Socialite celebrates their latest album, The Drift, to be released on the 10-year anniversary of their first record, 2012's Registers Her Delight. Unfolding into its second decade, the band continues to build on its legacy of odd orchestration, subtle mirth, and stylistic alchemy. I'm here this afternoon with uh, three-sixths of the band Lovely Socialite. <laughs> um, thanks for being here, you guys.
1: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you.
0: Would you introduce yourselves and tell us what instruments you play in the in the band? And then tell us who else is in the band who wasn't able to make it today.
1: All right, I'll go first. My name's Brian. Um, I play an uh, electric cello that's called Frankencello. Cello. That's a homemade electric cello in the group and then also pipa which is a Chinese lute that has four strings and sometimes I play another Chinese instrument called the gaohu which is like a Cantonese fiddle that has two strings um, and that all goes through a pedal board.
2: I'm Corey. I play trombone and keyboard in the group.
3: Uh, I'm Ben and I I play bass, the double bass and the bass guitar.
2: Who
0: are we missing today?
3: We are we are without uh, our our dear vibraphone player Abe Sorber Vibraham uh, Sorber uh, Michael Koshewsky the drum our our fine drummer and uh, Patrick Reinholz, who um, he plays uh, one of those hard to describe arrangements of um, weird little tenor guitars and cello and electric cello and other instruments.
0: So at times this is like a double cello assault, right?
3: Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Before there was two cellos,
1: we we were definitely rocking the two cellos set up in this band, for sure.
0: Kind of a rare instrumentation, I should think. Um, take us back to the beginning. Where did this band form and under what circumstances? You were all in Madison, as I understand, UW students?
2: Not all of us. Uh, a couple of us were. Um, man, it's been a while. I don't know if I can recap this story accurately, but well, it all started with, uh, Ben's recital, right? From what I remember.
3: Yeah. Our first gig was my senior recital at UW Madison. Um, and that was, I think without Mike, that was the the five, the five of us, uh, besides Mike. Um, most of us were students. Brian was the outlier, um, and, and Brian and Abe we sort of the outliers, not being music, UW Music School folks. Um, um, uh, Brian had studied at Butler and then had moved to Madison. I don't need to speak for you there, I guess, but um, <laughs> right. uh, you're here. Um, and Abe, Abe was just a really a great vib- vibraphone player in town. And I played with Abe. Pat and I had played with Abe in a, just a free, on, free improvising ensemble with some folks um, and had met him that way um and so he was originally the drummer in the group um and then switched to vibes when mike joined um
2: abe used to abe used to have that suitcase drum set that he would bring around which is really cool it was like
3: affordable he used to tom as a kick drum
2: yeah
1: and he was so such a different style of drummer compared to how mike drums i mean abe is a really light touch kind of minimalist player mike's just uh can he can create a whole wall of sound if he wants to not to say that mike isn't a sensitive player of course he is but they're just so stylistically so different
2: we we took some time off after that and uh i i think it was kind of like the future was in question and um kind of out of the blue re uh sort of booked a show at the frequency. Do you guys remember that? Book to show at the frequency after a few months of just like not doing anything. or we're like, we're just gonna play a free improv set.
3: I think I met Mike at the first gig that we had Mike join us. That's on, right. In the band.
2: He was just like shaking hands and introducing himself as we walked onto the stage and we played <laughs> a 40 minute set together.
3: <laughs> yeah. And that led to a series of shows. We played some really cool free improv shows and then gradually built a repertoire Um, over that next year um this was like 2010 2011 um time and we played uh all the Madison co-ops Lothlore I feel like we played Nottingham and um and Project Lodge was a big spot that around that time totally and um we played a really memorable show to me at Lothlore and that was just kind of this weird packed house party with some like thrash metal folk bands and we played just this gnarly sweaty free jazz it was very (laughs) sweaty i think most of the band's shirts were off by the end of it because it was a very hot summer um so and that kind of that was that was our bonding experience as a group i felt like
0: so it sounds like i mean you've kind of answered my next question to an extent but maybe there's more to say about it i'm i'm just kind of curious whether you came together with sort of a particular musical identity in mind or was it more as contemporaries who then sought to develop their musical identity sort of collectively? And who did you look for, um, in terms of examples of how to do that?
1: I'll take like the first part of that. Um, it's kind of connected to the question you were just asking. One of the things that I loved about this group when we first formed, um, is that we took about... Before we started playing all those shows around town, I remember we took about a year where we were, weren't performing and we just rehearsed once a week. like It was like a Sunday thing. I, I remember we'd just get together every week in the music school and, and improv and people would bring in tunes that they've written and we'd just try it out. And um, some of those tunes that Ben wrote or that Corey wrote that we would experiment with and make tweaks to and just try, you know, it was like a laboratory of experimentation. We'd always do some free improv. We'd check out a tune, make the tweaks. And then eventually it it felt, at least to me, from what I remember, it was about a year of doing that before we really started trying to book a bunch of shows. And so we kind of very organically found that identity just through experiment and trial and rehearsal and, just talking and hanging out and like forming that friendship as a group. And I think that friendship in, really informed a lot of the style too.
3: Yeah, it was definitely a, a laboratory space for us to like explore styles and genres and, and ways of playing music. Um, we were all playing, most of us being in music school, we were kind of playing in school ensembles. I remember I, in my memory, like the earliest vestiges of this band were a, cor- a conversation with me and Corey kind of talking about starting a experimental jazz group to sort of, you know, play some of this, the kind of music that we weren't playing in, in school groups and at the time. And, um, so yeah, it was like a, a real opportunity for us to bring all of our tastes together and, um, kind of mingle where we were coming from. Cause we all kind of listen to rock and hip hop and and stuff, but we were training you know we we're training ourselves to be musicians and all these, these different idioms. So this band became a place for us to kind of express our own voices and find, kind of find our own voices as a as a group. But yeah, what was the what was the other part kind of who who were we looking to? <laughs> who are we looking
0: to? Yeah, who do, who do you look to for examples of how to how to develop that voice, if there are any.
3: I could, I think Well, uh, here's maybe a weird answer to that, but I it add to maybe a sentimental answer, I guess, is that like, for me, it was like these guys were who I was looking to, to develop something like, um, and it was, I think for me, this coming together with this band and finding these, these guys to play with, especially at that point in my, where I was kind of like finishing up my music school time and kind of figuring out where like, you know, what my relationship with music was and what I should be um, pursuing uh, and like kind of compiling, like these things that I've been learning. And it was just, yeah. So it was good to just kind of get together and have our sessions and, and explore our own voices together. And um, so I, yeah, I, I, so I was looking to my peers as mentors a lot at that, at that time.
2: Yeah, and I, I think we could all say that the uh, trombone professor at the university was pretty influential to to many of us. Totally. Um, uh, when it comes to the kind of experimental and electroacoustic kind of scene. And uh it's I, I I being a trombone player had, you know, worked worked really closely with him in the studio. But I know uh Ben and Pat got to work with him a bit too, because you guys were playing in a duo at the time, um, that was really kind of digging into that electroacoustic scene and um and he really opened opened our eyes to a lot of different things that you know prior to going into college, like it's just like not even something I knew existed. So that would be Mark Hetzler, right? Yeah, R- right. Yeah, and Mike
0: plays in in Mr. Chair now too, so there's that that connection persists to this day.
1: Yeah, he's still pushing the the trombone and electronics boundaries, which I love. I love that he's he's still going hard on that. And it, he was just as. Um, excited to talk to us about what we were doing with our pedals and our various acoustic instruments running through pedals. And so it always felt there was a mentorship aspect, but it always felt collaborative, like Oh, I, everyone can always learn from each other in those discussions because someone's got some weird pedal that does this one thing. And, oh, I never thought of using that. Or have you tried miking it like this or using that sort of pickup and all that kind of stuff was, is just super fun to chat with him about. And I always learned a bunch.
3: Yeah. And on that, just on the Mark Hetzler wagon to, uh, cause Pat and I actually had studied with Mark as a chamber ensemble uh, that we're at for a, semester a full year i think so um yeah he's a big um influence on how we were kind of exploring that using pedals with our instruments and kind of composing chamber music as a duo um that like brian said we were kind of brought brought into this band and also mark uh introduced me to tim burns presence or not tim david torn's album uh presence that tim burn is on and that that band uh turned me and Pat totally on into a whole world of music um, at, at that time in our lives that influenced what we were listening to. So I would cite that That is just a key point too.
0: To me, I think we're fortunate to have Mark Hetzler at the university and prior to his presence here. I mean, Joan Wildman, of course, was a huge advocate for this kind of exploration, but Mark is kind of the next generation of that adventurous spirit so kudos to mark
3: yeah and I, maybe uh, since i was talking about other references i think that period also um introduced me to like kind of through mark and those learning about the sort of new york improvisers and and meeting some of these i um i just ran into jason stein yesterday in chicago and i'm thinking you know he was he was amongst a crew of chicago people who were coming up to madison um frank rosalie and tim daisy and um, Kyle Bruckman and, uh, that, those were sort of people I was seeing as I was leaving college and kind of finding like, oh, there's all kinds of people doing stuff out there in the world and, um, the big world of Chicago and, and New York and stuff, which, um, I'm from rural Minnesota. So this, I feel like this band was, uh, a point of like, oh, con- uh, converging things and sending me into different directions.
0: And from the compositional side of things, it sounds like everyone contributes compositions to the group, almost everyone. Um, and then describe your sort of collective process in terms of someone brings in a composition and then, you know, what kind of filters do you apply to that to make it sort of uh, part of the cohesive band aesthetic?
1: Yeah, that's a, a kind of, um, up to the composer of the tune as far as how much the um how much wiggle room there is i guess i'll say um i remember okay so when we when we were first kind of starting out most of the tunes were written by um ben and cory and to me that the you know our first album from 2012 registers her delight you know you look at most of the tunes and and we had been playing those tunes for about 2 years or so i think before we recorded them or playing them in shows live so we had a lot of time to like discover the sound, you know, from recording, like you might record a new tune and then you play it live for two years and the tune has changed immensely over the course of those live performances. Um, and the sound that of the group was so strong already on those, on that first album, I think like style, style wise. And I always keep that in mind, like as we've progressed of, of, if I'm writing a tune, You know like how to where does it fit into that spectrum of like where our sound started and where it's it's traveled to um and a lot of the earlier tunes that i wrote for the band personally were like maybe too rigid it's um too composed and so for me part of what like what i've personally done compositionally is to leave more open space for the group decision now in my tunes, even to the point of like writing out tunes as a huge chart that the whole band is reading off of the, off of the same chart. And there's, um, flexibility, like people are going to cue in certain things. So we might like, um, have an open-ended section where people can solo or something's going to happen and then people start cueing things. And once that person cues something, then, you know, we move forward. And I know other people, there's varying degrees of having really set composed things because it just it needs to be orchestrated like that really tightly and then there's other things that have um, more open-ended improvisational sections and i think we like find a pretty good balance of that as for instance like we're when we're working on one album as the tunes start rolling in it's like all right well there's corey's already got this one that's kind of composed and pat's already got this one that's totally open maybe i'll write one that's kind of a little mix of both and so we can kind of find the balance um of it but i think the the challenge of our of this new album the drift was that we had so the culmination of all of our different styles and sounds we've ever had are on this one record and that's like hard to pull now hard to pull all of our band identities from the different albums all together into a cohesive whole but I think the magic of it is just all of the voices of the individual players coming together as a, as a group is always going to sound like Lovely Socialite, I think, no matter what, the way that we play together is always going to sound like Lovely Socialite, and it might be a little more rock on the Corey tunes, or it might be a little more like Neo Soul on my tune or free improv on Pat's tune, but it's we, we, we still have those same instruments in the way that we interact with each other to kind of preserve the flavor of the sound but rehearsals are like really we talk a lot in rehearsals we'll try stuff everybody's like able to contribute ideas on the tunes and we'll just try it you know and if it helps we'll go in that direction I think usually
2: that's kind of the fun of it though that you know is that is that variety to it too it's like you know all the records have different composers on them and you don't you get that you know, you, you don't know what's coming next. I I enjoy that, you know, that not to say that, like, like any one composers tunes all sound the same, but like Brian's tunes sound like Brian's tunes, you know, or Pat's tunes sound like Pat's tunes. Like they're very Pat, you know, they're very Ben's tunes are very Ben. There's something about them that just has like his identity to him. And so it's just like, it's cool to have that mixture of stuff. And because of the players that are all playing on them and we have this like big band of six members that have this like kind of unique instrumentation to it that's all you know being like filtered through those composers' ideas, it's like um, you know, there's that that similarity that just kind of remains, even though the, the compositional ideas can change so drastically. Like like I'll hardly ever write a, a drum set part for any of my tunes. I'll just like leave it up to Mike. And so he can he can always do Mike things, you know, and so there's always that consistency no matter what. And you guys are all pretty active in other contexts
0: too, so it's not like you have to. Everything you create has to go into this one container, right? So it's like you can pick and choose what what fits best or what the you know what you feel like the band will in, interpret you know most successfully. So that to, that to me is kind of like a thing that comes with sort of the band maturity of like you've been playing together long enough that you know. Everything's kind of been sorted out and and uh, you can push the envelope, but you can also sit back and and um, allow the freedom to happen because you trust the uh, you trust the other folks in the band that's a really it's a great place to be i think well said a great philosopher once posed the question i think in about nineteen eighty five does humor belong in music <laughs> And you're no strangers to humor, or maybe it's Dadaism. I don't, I don't know. You can tell me. But, um, I mean, you sometimes perform in costume. What's your relationship to humor?
2: Um, real quick, my, I, just as a tangent to that question, my, my favorite part of the drift is a moment where we recorded clapping and cheering and just being <laughs> total goofballs over the uh, over top of Final Fight, Flight of Frog. Never originally intended on uh, the track, but it was just a, 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 a goofy studio idea. that we're all sitting in there mixing for, for three hours. And and one of us said, you know, what if we just did this? And we're like, heck yeah, let's do it. Let's go in there and track it. And then it just became a part of the album. And And I'm just, it's like, that's the kind of thing that like sticks and stays, you know, permanent in this band. Whereas it, it could have just been like a fleeting, like goofball idea at any other point. But, you know, that's, that's just kind of like the camaraderie and like the you know where, where the personality kind of shines through so I think I think that's a good example of our, our relationship to humor because that that's all the all the the weird stuff that that you see where where we're playing in shark costumes those are all just ideas where someone's like hey we should buy these like okay they've been they've been ordered <laughs>
1: it's just like the external expression of all of our inside jokes and friendship and, (laughs) um, and it really was, uh, you know, registers or delight that first album that we put out, there's a ton of stuff like that on the album, um, that we just added in, in the studio process. Um, and I love, that's one of my favorite things about getting to play with this group is when you get all of us together, we just have all these goofy ideas. Everybody's so funny. Everybody's riffing on, on these jokes all the time. And um, and then we, it's like something starts as a goofball idea. Like, hey, why don't we add some like Mingus ho- hoots and hollers in this section and some claps and see what happens. And then it like we hear it back and everyone's like, yeah, we're on board 100%. That sounds great. There's a, another um i felt bad i felt like i kept trying to um change cory's tracks on this record um there's a version of our the second track experiment one which i don't know maybe it will be accidentally leaked someday um but without Corey knowing but uh, abe is t- is taking a rip roaring keyboard solo a little synth solo and we um we're like what if we added like a bunch of audience applause and cheers like a stadium of of people cheering Abe's solo and it only happens during Abe's solo and the rest of the track is just like normal and we tried it and I I would cry laughing in the studio (laughs) the entire time it was playing back. I thought it sounded so good and I still want that version of the track to to live you know and even in the last moment you know pat has a whole guitar solo no audience applause or cheers (laughs) and then abe comes in with one note and they lose their minds again and suddenly the audience is back like i don't know it's just stuff like that (laughs) we're just having fun and then sometimes it makes it on
3: the record those moments i think too just to your question of our like relationship with humor i think we all you know um have just varied tastes and stuff i I mean, I think around the time we were starting Lovely Social, like Corey was in a band called Family Fun. I just uh, discovered my Family Fun CD back. When I was up with my parents. Oh, here's where my Family Fun CD went, um, and that was sort of a performance art um, comedy hip hop. Is that a fair fair description? Duo. Um, That's fair. And and um, which was I I loved it. I saw. I, I remember I went to see Family Fun after knowing Cory for a while and you know, Corey's here, you, you can tell he's a very, you know, gentle and thoughtful um, person and to, to see him perform in that band where you're doing, you know, leading the audience in like, wacky dances and um, just in rapping over ridiculous uh, and, and awesome beats and, and things like that. It was sort of like, I was like, okay, you know, there, there's like, you know, and I think that was a, a space, I feel like lovely socialites sound like we all get very serious too about our music and I think we all take it very seriously. And like these, a lot of these charts are super heady and like difficult, you know, technically to put together um, some of the comedy, I feel like of this music surfaces as like a, you know, uh, we <laughs> like we need to, this outlet of just like, just um, kind of have maniacal laughter over this section to, to kind of just like clear the air or something. Got to balance it out. I
1: always liked when people are asking about our sound, I always say it's equal parts pretentious and goofy.
3: Yeah. And also heartfelt. I, I'll, I'll cite um, like Pat's tunes, especially to me, feel very like, um, uh, I, I wish I had the words to describe it, which is on the new album is a, a, a super beautiful melody. Um, and it's this kind of open, he writes pretty open tunes for us usually that are, um, he, a couple of his tunes have been the sort of a melody that we all play and then kind of have a free improvisation. Um, and I feel like his tunes are a real, like sent like have a real deep sentiment to them. And um, I know that this tune is on the, or the, Oh, she had, I had the words, so kind of a love song um, where kind of Pat gets to, you know, <laughs> is expressing some, I don't want to speak too much for him, but I, I really love the tune and I think it's a really, um, Uh, affecting one. So I think there's like depth for this kind of having like, I feel like there are moments on this album where I'm like, yeah, we sound like a a bunch of Midwestern guys who really love our wives. Um, And that's like the vibe that we're, you know, we're sending this out into the world. Um, So not that all of us are married or whatever, but you know, we all, I think that that's a a fair. (laughs)
0: Tell us, um, tell us about the Quarantine Loops project. Uh, the title doesn't quite make it clear, but these are fully formed pieces of music, so they're not like it's not like a loop CD that you would purchase or something. Um, did that project help you guys stay connected during the pandemic? A hundred percent. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So those that they came as an idea to um, remain active during the pandemic, and um, we had been. So this this album to, to kind of uh, provide some context for this, we we recorded the drift prior to the pandemic, and um, we're kind of deciding how we were going to release that, and then of course COVID happened and kind of put some put damper on that. So we put that on hold and decided um, it would be best served when we could perform to support it. <clears throat> so in the meantime, we decided we want to do something and stay stay uh, you know stay active and and uh you know get some momentum going for the uh this record and so we we stayed connected over zoom and decided we wanted to you know innovate some some way to still still produce some music even though we were in different parts of the the midwest and and separated from one another so what we did was we came up with this project where we were going to record um Basically, we would we would create the loops. That's where the loops part comes in. We would generate the loops ourselves. We made a giant folder of uh files of the assets that that we would each use to compose the songs um, based on like a common like through line or a common thread. So like the first one I think was like um it was like uh I don't know, it was like a minor scale or something like that, or pentatonic or something. I don't even remember. But it's set to a certain tempo. Um, and then you could kind of like veer off of, off of that, uh, path from there. But generally speaking, like all of it will kind of connect together based on, you know, like being, you know, from the same, you know, uh, kind of foundation. And so, so long as everyone used the same tempo and created these loops that would start and end, um, so that they could repeat, um, you could kind of make basically like a, you know like a composition out of those and that's that's what we did <clears throat> so we did three eps like that and and eventually got some guest artists involved either to generate their own loops or to do their own compositions using that same material and and it was it was a lot of fun it actually turned out to be really cool um i'll, I'll turn it over to brian and ben so i don't hog this one because i think it's kind of a fun thing to talk about
3: yeah it was originally Corey's idea the the sort of concept too so i, I you're not taking credit for it Corey, but I'll, I I would like to throw you credit for that. Cause that sort of initial, like what, I can't remember what key it was either, but you were sort of, you gave us a stipulation. Here's a tempo and a scale, like um, everybody play some, you know, record some improvised loops. Um, So, I mean, there are probably classical music people out there who would consider quarantine loops to be a composition by Corey, uh, that we all sort of executed. but uh, it it, I don't, it that's I'm not that's not super fair because there are all these amazing compositions that are built out of these these pieces. So it's it's sort of a uh, yeah. It was a cool opportunity for us to all. I mean, it it was a we, like in a way it was kind of a it was like definitely a different sort of instantiation of the of the way that we collaborate. And it, it was sort of like a reordering of the process where it's like. We were talking about how we, you know, someone brings in a chart and then we all play it and then we all kind of offer our own edits and changes over the time we play it. And it becomes a collaborative process with one composer. And this one sort of like started with the sound of the band and then kind of filtered back into these pieces through the voices of the individual pro- uh, producers who put the tracks together um, and composed these works using our. Sure our um, language on our instruments
1: and each uh, of the volumes one through three um, each volume was its own separate prompt so like volume one was all from um, the prompt of use this tempo use this scale Um, and then volume two was a different prompt of here's a different key or tempo and all that kind of stuff Um, and so it's kind of a fun for the audience member to listen to you, if you listen to Volume One, you're gonna hear little things pop up throughout the different tracks that were the same loop was maybe used by different producers, but they the way they arranged it with other loops and manipulated the loops was totally different. And so, even though we're you know each producer is using the same pool of loops, the what they created, what they remix, what they compose out of it ended up being totally different. But then it creates this. N- a different sort of thread through the whole EP versus like, you know, Ben was saying on our records where you have all the different composers writing separate pieces. And then we find a way as a band to f- have the thread go from piece to piece throughout the record. Now it's inherently just in the loops that threads us through the whole EP and gives each of the volumes their own little sound. And we had a ton of fun doing it. And it was a easy way for us to record um, being separate from each other. So we've definitely talked about continuing some version of that throughout the future um, because it's so fun to do and a very different sound.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, So we've kind of been talking around the new record. We've learned that it was recorded pre-pandemic. What else do you want to tell us? What else can you reveal about the new record? When does it come out and, uh, you know, any other details you'd like to share?
1: Saturday, July 30th at Cafe Coda, 7 p.m. Tickets are $10. That's our little release show. Uh, we're going to play two sets, and we're going to have a friend of ours, DJ O2, um, mixing some tunes in between sets and afterwards as we all kind of hang out and meet and greet and chat with all the friends who are there and family. Um, it, I think I mentioned before, it's kind of like our most... Widely varying album style wise. um We throughout the years, different records have had very, I think, very strongly had kind of like a core sound. This one has a little bit of all of those. There's some of the chamber jazz elements of Registers Her Delight, our first record. Um, there's some of the very expansive jazz rock sort of tunes like on Co- Toxic Consonants, our second album. Um, and then there's some more kind of zappa-esque hard-hitting rock style tunes like on our ep double shark um and and it's almost like you get all of the kind of like big brothers and big sisters of all of those previous styles that we've had on this record and everything just kind of is more expansive i think
3: just uh further Brian's point of just like the sweeping nature of the record. I think we also put a lot of time into choosing a track order and kind of finding a flow. I think we all think a lot about that, about our live sets and stuff too. Um, so I, I hope that people can listen to this record and have like a really great experience from beginning to end. Cause that I think has been, was a big part of our discussion, just getting these tracks that range really far and wide um, stylistically to have a, like a flow that feels kind of narrative and um, uh, natural. Um, and I, I'm pretty proud of what we've gotten together. So I, I hope that other other people experience it that way as well.
1: Yeah, it took a long time to figure out the track order for sure.
2: <laughs> we're, we're a very democratic band. I think we, we function very collaboratively, which with six people, that takes that takes time to, to hash out a lot of details. But this is our, I'd say this is our tightest and in, in uh our cleanest record to date. We did a lot of work in in uh overdubs and, and cleaning up a lot of parts. And I think that's a result of these being um compositions that we had really not as much experience with uh compared to like Brian had mentioned, the um you know the the earlier recordings we've been playing for years before we went into the studio. This was kind of the opposite, where it's like we we hadn't seen each other for a while. We had brought, brought all these new compositions to each other. We spent a couple of days cramming them, and uh, went into the studio. And then yeah. and then we're like, okay, let's clean up those mistakes now. <laughs> but I think we got it super tight, and we did a lot of great work on it. And and I'm I'm proud of it. I think it's our best record yet. So I'm excited to share it. <clears throat> I, I I don't know, Brian. What do you think? Is it is it fair to say that? Uh, um, or is it? Would it, Ben too? Is it safe to say that this is um, the tenth uh, anniversary of Registers of Delight? Can we share that too? Is that oh, a yeah. surprise? <laughs> okay. No, no, we so no can share that. the the thirtieth The thirtieth is uh, is also the tenth anniversary of our first record. So this show, with being a double set, we're going to concentrate on playing exclusively tunes from the new record and tunes from the first record. So that'll be the the on the docket for that night. Well, three-sixths of
0: lovely Socialite, thank you so much for stopping by the Showbiz Roundup this afternoon. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, and uh, we're really looking forward to your album release show in July.
3: Thanks, Michael. Thanks. Really thoughtful
1: questions. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having us.
0: Yeah, thanks for having us. That's it for this edition of the Showbiz Roundup. Our theme music is performed by Outside the Sphere, an experimental duo consisting of Tony Barba and myself. If you'd like more information about this show or any of the past or future shows presented by Bluestem Jazz, you can head over to bluestemjazz.org. And you can follow my doings or be in touch via rattletakebuzz.com. Catch you later.